This is Kai Foser and you're listening to the Full and Focus podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Fulham Focus podcast. My name is J-Mac, your host, reporting live from my private yacht in the seventh circle of hell, as we talk about our heartbreaking 2-1 defeat to the hands of Spurs. But first, thank you very much to Kay Vosa for introducing the show. Kay joined our ranks in the summer of 2014 under McGath for our start for the championship season as a fullback. He made 10 appearances for the White, and his time with us didn't honestly light up our chances for promotion that season, but all wasn't how it seemed for Kay. Have a listen on the, the Full and Focus website for a great interview by Danny. Kay Vosa, we salute you, sir. Right, Matt and John are with me. Whatever, let's go. Fulham. All right, guys. Um, so, Harry Winks, 93rd minute. It sort of felt like it was going to happen, to be honest with you. I'll just get your opening thoughts before we discuss the abyss that is being a Fulham fan right now. John, you actually have just come straight from Craven Cottage in the car. How how was the atmosphere there towards that last toxic moment? How was how are you feeling about this result, mate? Well, as I thaw off, I'd like to start <laughs> at the beginning um, because starting at the to end start. is is probably a bad way to go. But I have to say <laughs> that in 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 the pub, you know, it was flat, and I kind of. Um, I just kind of thought of the contrast of last season, the end of last season, and the optimism. But but it, it was it was flat. But strangely enough, in the ground, I thought the Fulham fans were brilliant first half. Hammy End was mm. in full song, and I think the Fulham performance first half was brilliant. So um, line yeah. looking at the looking at the lineup, I think a lot of it's set in stone. I don't think Kearney can do what what Surrey can defensively. People criticise Surrey, but regardless of that, it was interesting. Babel straight in. And um, I won't talk about performances yet, but, you know, the, the lineup was similar. We, we just had Cess missing and uh, the, the game started well. The fans were in full full swing and it it almost felt a bit like, I remember when we played Crystal Palace when they just came up and we beat them 4-1 and their fans almost just seemed like they were there for the ride and they were on great form, just happy to be there. And I th- it almost felt to me a little bit like we were resigned to not, having a great chance, but let's just enjoy every minute of it. Let's eke out as much joy as possible. And, and it, it was a lovely start to the game to be part of it. I I, I, um, I commend the fans there today. I thought it was brilliant. And um, we started off on the, on, on the right foot. Yeah, I mean, um, I've been sort of critical of the way we play under Ranieri. I've, you know, I admit it's not my favourite brand of football. At half time, though, I was thinking, well, you know, there's, Maybe there's a case for this, um, particularly against the stronger teams. Uh, frustrate them, get a goal, get your nose ahead. And, you know, we, we looked really good for that lead and we, we probably could have had two or three, to be honest. Mm. And it's just the way it fell apart in the second half again. It's like, well, how many times is that going to happen? I don't think there's anyone here really who's surprised by the fact that we ended up losing. You know, in the second half, we came we came out, we sat back, we sat deep. Mitrovic spent the whole half sort of 35 yards in their goal, uh, from our goal, sorry. And if he got anywhere near their half, you know, he just got clattered by Sanchez. And mm. just it went on and on and on. And it just looked, you know, there, there was no one who would have bet that we were going to go and win that, I don't think, by the end. And it's just, it was just so inevitable and so depressing. And, <sighs> you know, it's like it, it was a defeat right at the end and that stings. But, Personally, I just I don't think the draw would have done us any good either. We we needed to go and win that game, and even though it's Spurs, they were there for the taking, and we just couldn't do it. We're just not good enough, and it's just really sad. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm completely with you, mate. But I think what, before we talk too much about you know the the two goals that were carbon copies of each other, in my opinion, the terrible defending, the relegation cancer we have within our team right now. I just I, I think we'll, we'll draw on what you just said about the actual good half first and how actually Ranieri ball seemed to actually have a bit of excitement to it. I mean, the lineup was more or less the same old BS, but we had Babel, uh, sorry, beg your pardon, Ryan Babel. I always say that wrong. We had Babel up front on the left and we had Scherler on the right. And that was pretty much the only real change to it. And Babel made 
quite a bit of difference to us, it seemed. It seemed like Mitro was no longer didn't seem as isolated as he usually was. He was not afraid to run into pockets of space. John, what are your thoughts on Babel and the general lineup? Because it did, it was very positive for how we started the game and the first half entirely, I think. Looking at Babel when he was signed, I was kind of a bit, well, that's very left-wing, you know, that's very kind of, um, wasn't an expected signing, wasn't linked with with any other clubs. But um, for his first half performance, I mean, it it seemed inspired. He was, he was really, really good. He, he reminds me a bit of AK in kind of stature and, and a bit of style, but for me, AK just can't judge the ball in the air at all. It's almost like until it lands, he doesn't know where it's where it's gonna where it's gonna land. Was was um, Barber was was back to defenders holding up. If it felt like him and Mitro could and it did have a really good bond and understanding. And we're talking four days in to this this relationship. Mm. I think Tony Khan needs a lot of respect as much as I can slag him off um, sometimes. This signing was not expected, but to me, looks like it could be a, a bit of a bit of a wonder signing, really, if, if we are going to fight and stay up. So, so many promising signs in, su- in such a short half. I, I, um, I was really, really impressed. I have to say really impressed. And the fact that there wasn't just one outlet... And Barbell ran off Mitra a few times. And there were a few through balls where he got onto and threatened their goal and a header where he possibly mistimed his um his jump could could have found the top corner. Yeah. It's hard to see positives in, in this Fulham season, but I can't think any Fulham fan wouldn't find that as one of them, really. It it was a really, really strong performance, and it's a shame he wasn't fit for the whole game, really. Yeah, I I really like what I saw from Babel in that first half. Um I think one of the key things is that he kind of gives us a second option of, you know, the way we play now is without the ball, try and get it quickly up the field when we attack. And he sort of, before we had Mitro as that only option where the ball would stick um, and he had, you know, he'd been having too much to do himself. Mm. I think Babel kind of offers that similar kind of strength back to goal, but but also he showed he showed pace and skill and he showed he was good in the air. And, you know, he, he was just lacking that bit of uh, match sharpness, obviously, and he, he came off early and he did look tired. But, yeah, he, he showed a lot more um, than, you know, either Cabano or Aita have shown all season, I would say, just in that 45 minutes. You can see he's a he's a really quality player and, you know, he, he gives us a bit more up front and that's that's really all we can ask for at this stage. In, term, in terms of lineup, I mean, it's kind of as you expect now, isn't it? Uh, the, the back five kind of picks itself. We have Chambers and usually Seri in the middle with him. And, and the only real questions are whether who, who starts on the flank. Uh, I was a bit disappointed not to see Sessegnon. Mm. I might have liked to see Babel uh, and Sessegnon up there. But um, I think Babel and Sherla both did well in that first half playing with Mitro. So, so yeah, I mean, promising signs, but just not quite enough, was it? No, and I think the Babel, the, the Babel complimented Sherlock very well, I thought. But the problem with Babel is that all this, he looked great, but I just, I'm worried it's, you know, just, oh, what's the point? It's too little, too late. But I'm not trying to think too negatively, but absolutely. I mean, th- there were no defenders on the bench, John, I noticed. And I mean, it, it's, and it, obviously that helped us because we were so attacking in the first half. We obviously had a very strong mindset of like, we are going to absolutely go for this. And, I was really shocked by the amount of times we the the chances we were creating. We ended up creating, you know, enough chances to actually get a bit of karma back and get an own goal in our pocket. Well, on from the other side, I mean. I mean, John, with no defenders on the bench, I mean, that shows you that Ranieri obviously had a very specific plan of like we are going for this. It didn't seem like a a relegation team, you know, just sitting back and Sam Allardyceing it, did it? It, it very much. I mean, it very much did first half. I think not having a single recognised defender on the bench is probably a bit naive. Um, in fairness, mm-hmm. we're playing a back five and Sess could, in theory, play there. So you could argue if, if there was an injury back there, then there could be a reshuffle and we could play there. Um, I mean, the statement of intent with who's on the bench doesn't always have to match the statement of intent of what the manager does and what the players do on the pitch. And I, I felt, especially second half, if, if there was a statement of intent to go out and attack... Then going in at half time with a one nil lead, I, I think there were words said at half time, and I think what was so successful first half wasn't pushed home second half personally. 
and yeah. we gave we, we gave let's 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 be let's be realistic here we played the weakest spurs spurs squad anyone is going to play all season okay at mm. home so let's not get above us they're still a quality squad and they've they've had no signings in bloody god knows how long and and they've had the same manager and the same system and the same setup for a long time so they should all be able to play with each other but you can't imagine playing them at a better time and and in the first half we really pushed that home and and looked by far the better team in my opinion the the frustrating thing for me really is that we decided to sit back very deep the second half and kind of allow them a foothold into the game. Now, there's two arguments. Do, do you push forward and allow them to find space or do you sit back and try and deny space? Pushing forward worked the first half. I can understand that might be difficult for 90 minutes, but I don't think sitting back worked the second half. And and that's something of hindsight against the quality side. But as I say, a quality side who probably have never been at a lower quality all season or even used to playing these players in these positions all season... Mm-hmm. Is a bitter pill to take, and one thing that that just got. I mean, we, we've not had luck. We we got luck. We they scored a known goal. We didn't score. They 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 scored three goals today. That's um, it. One thing that really just seems to me like almost inevitable, and just so common is back post. Back post. How many goals this season have we conceded at the back post? I reckon it's it's over fifty or sixty percent. I mean, it's a huge number of crosses come into the box. There's not enough pressure on the cross, and then there's someone open at the back post. Every, mm. I mean, it's so frustrating. And and to talk about Ali, Ali's Ali's a great player, clearly. Um, yeah, and he's he's got some aerial prowess, but for winks, little old Winky to score <laughs> at the back post in the in in the ninetieth minute with a free header. I mean, yeah. that for me is, is pretty shocking. Yeah, And you know what? The way Deli Ali scored that goal, I've seen him in that position scoring that goal from that angle in that position of the goal about 25 times now. And we just have not done enough. Just, we just are not working hard enough. I, I mean, if, it, if it's not, if it's not the opposition's aim to target us on the back post, then they are not doing their Bielsa research because it's clearly a humongous weakness we have. And it's game upon game that we're letting teams score and in that position. We've got three at the back. Surely one should be on the front post, one in the middle, one on the back post. And we've still got two wing backs to help. It's not happening. It's, it's, it's clearly, if you're not tar- targeting us there, then teams seriously aren't doing their research. And if we're not trying to get stronger there, then surely we're not. I mean, it seems like the, I can't tell you the amount of signs I've, times I've seen a cross come in and just a bloody simple unopposed goal on the back post. It's, it's painful to watch. Painful yeah. to watch. And and that goal, Matt. I mean, would you say? I, I mean, I can't dis- decide whose fault it is. Reem Reem doesn't step. Reem completely miskick something, which obviously starts the whole process into motion. Adoy doesn't make it, and then Cyrus Christie is just running alongside Deli Ali as if he's sort of like a relay partner. I mean, you know. And then, but then Rico apparently should be able to. Oh, that's a clear one-on-one that Jamie Redknapp noticed on the highlights. And actually, maybe Rico should have grabbed the ball and actually taken a bit more charge of his line. What What are your thoughts on that? Oh, that goal. Yeah, I mean, it's not the first time we've discussed a goal that's been an absolute collection of errors from almost fucking chaos. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I like, I know, where to start? I suppose is the, is Reem's air shot. That sort of allowed them the chance to cross. Tricky one because you know players do miss the ball sometimes. Mm-hmm. There was still a lot of work for them to do to score after that point. So it's it's not entirely on Reem. We'll go with Rico. I I don't really agree that he should have claimed it because the ball in from Ericsson, was it? I think it was Ericsson. Um, it was kind of one of those whipped looping ones. It's really difficult yeah. for a keeper to claim. Uh, and it was coming in at a fair pace. So it, he put it in the perfect area for to, to create confusion. Cyrus Christie is the one who's watching Deli Ali make the run. So he should be much closer to his man. But but then Dennis Adoy, has he got a call? Because he's 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 acted like someone else is going to claim that ball, but I I don't see Rico, you know, making the claim that he's got it, and I don't see Christie saying that it's his either. So with that doubt, you you jump and you try and clear it, don't you? But he's sort of he's ducked, and you know, you, you guys are kind of clear on on my opinion on Dennis Adoy, and I'm not gonna <laughs> I'm not gonna go off on one about him again. But um, oh, come on, but you you can't. He's he's had enough time 
to decide what he wants to do with that. Yeah, it's not a flat a snap decision to to duck away from the ball. He's he's seen the ball come over, and he's then after that time he's decided, I'm gonna I know what I can do here, duck. What what is he thinking? What in what world is that good defending? If anyone's got an answer to that, then then by all means, you know, correct me. But it was just you know again, it's just a collection of everyone, isn't it? They're not good enough. The defenders are not good enough. I think you're spot on there, Matt. And and for me, what's 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 annoying is we aren't making one defensive error that's causing goals. We're making two or three simultaneous errors which are yeah. causing it's a goals. Chain reaction. It, it, if Reem put his foot through it, it wouldn't be a goal. If Adoy put his nut on it, it wouldn't be a goal. If so, if if Rico came and claimed it, or if Christie was stronger and kind of you know even just block the man physically, then it wouldn't have been a goal. A question I've got for the both of you is: um, I thought Rico looked class. I thought Rico looked assured. I thought he was saving goals that possibly he shouldn't. He was making saves that were keeping us in games. In the last three or four games, and especially today, if the ball wasn't between his shoulder blades. It looked like he had no hope. He he, he actually doesn't fill me with a, any confidence anymore. Mm. I can't think of a shot that he saved that was even a 60-40. I mean, w- what are your thoughts on that, guys? Is, is Rico still doing the do? Is he still the business? Ah, or did he have no chance for any of them? I'm not sure if that is the case. I think personally he could have maybe... I mean, you know, when, when people show highlights of things, it's always in slow motion and it's not actually possible to really live in real time and see if he would have made you know made the grab himself I mean I think Rico has had a bit of a bad spell the last few games I don't think we're at the stage of calling up Mr Marcus Bettinelli no way near it he's still definitely our best keeper but I've I've personally noticed a bit of a little bit of uh what's the word for me, I've it's just, hesitancy or something. Like he just he doesn't seem that he doesn't seem that confident or or demo- or controlling anymore mm. I don't yeah, know if you agree. I, I might be wrong. I might be wrong. I just, I, I had faith in him. This is the best, ke- even not the best, but this is a very good keeper. And I can't say I believe that anymore. And I well, might be, be completely wrong or being harsh. I'm not saying he had, he should have made all of the saves, but he could have made some, maybe. I don't know. But I mean, I think it's completely a reaction. I think this is completely a consequence of the fact that his defence do absolutely naff all for him. I mean, like, you know, if I'd be losing my confidence as a goalkeeper if my defenders were playing silly buckets the way I've been playing the past few weeks, months. You know, it's just months. Um, I, I think it's just potentially in his head, he's just starting to think, lose his faith in the people in front of him. And that is why I'm so so shocked that it is January the 20th and we still haven't got a defender in. I love Ryan Babble, that's great, but I, I just, you know, we, we haven't got a defender in and it's 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 madness. And I, I think, you know, I just think he's lost his confidence in the defenders in front of him and I don't blame him, to be honest. Matt, what are your thoughts on, uh, on the whole Rico situation? Yeah, it's a tough one because when we had Mark Schwarzer, mm. he, we, I think we really took for granted what a good goalkeeper he was. Since we lost him, We've had an absolute string of keepers who none of them can command their box. Uh, I mean, Rico has got, he's a big unit and he should be jumping and claiming everything. He should be shouting at his defence. He should be, you know, getting anything that's six yard box or eight yards out. He should be making that his. But he's not, he's not that kind of keeper. He, he He prefers to punch rather than catch, which, you know, fair enough. Quite a lot of keepers are like that, but but yeah, he, he when he came into the team, absolutely, I was like, I was saying, you know, this, he is by far the best of our three keepers. Uh, he he's in for the rest of the season, but yeah, I, I'm seeing a bit of a bit of weakness in him as well, and I don't think it's only the fact that the defense is so terrible in front of him, um, because they were still terrible when when he first came into the team, but it, it was that chance, I think. Um, I can't remember if it was the first half or second half. I think it was in, in the second half when um, Lorente headed or shouldered towards goal and yeah. it went straight at him and he pushed it out straight to the penalty spot. No, you know, no mm. keeper should be doing that in this league. And uh, I mean, obviously he's the last line of defence and he, he has a lot of saves to make, but, but really he didn't have that much to do. Second goal for sure, I think he could have done a lot better. Yeah. So all around, I mean, from the whole back five, that it's it's not really good enough. 
Yeah, back five too. Just you know, how many do you need? Go on, John. Or back six. I mean, back six. Yeah, <laughs> back ten. To, to be honest, I'm not blaming Rico for anything in particular, but just the kind of confidence I had, and and in performances where he was kind of keeping us in the game, man of the match for quite a few games. Um, maybe he's not had much of a chance for, the, for these guys, but he's not pulling off saves. Really, he's not pulling off saves to the left or right of him. Maybe due to finishing all that, but yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not feeling all that confident with, with our keeper. Strangely enough. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think it's something that is, like I said, a, a complete consequence of the, the back five in front of him. But I also think you could just tell from the goal that Ali scored that it just his face and the re- his his reflexes, there was just, he just, he doesn't look as sharp as he has done before. And I, I can't see his confidence growing any time soon, to be honest. But I want to talk about another weakness of someone. And I think this person, I don't want to make this a scapegoating uh, pod. I just want to talk about one thing. So, what, as soon as as soon as we con- concede and it's one all, uh, we decide to take Ryan Babel off, and you know he's a sixty minute player, as you said in pre pre show, John. I, I get it because he's still new and he's quite old. But and we lost our we lost our bite, we lost our edge, and I, I you know I thought once once Babel went off, it was pretty much we were blunt as hell. But Ryan Sessignon at the moment, I you know, we love Ryan. He's one of our own. He has such passion. But for me today, he did not look like a player that was particularly interested or someone who looked like he was going to score or do anything spectacular. I mean, am I wrong here? Like someone please jump on this. Cause I I'd like to know your thoughts on Ryan Sessnot. Is he, is it time to actually start questioning him rather than thinking he's just the, you know, the darling of FFC? Yeah, it, it's tough. I think, I think to, to be fair to us on this board, we have always questioned him and in, in, we've said he's not necessarily the finished article. He's got a lot of work to do on, you know, taking on a man, and his mm. crossing and things like that. And we've, we've played up what his strengths are, which is finding space in the box and, and his finishing. But I, I kind of agree that he he didn't look his usual passion itself. Usually you can rely yeah. on, on Sessignon to be the one player on the pitch, maybe Mitra as well, who, you know, will be giving everything and, you know, thumping his chest and riling up the crowd. And, he, he you know, his absolute passion for the club comes through. Today he was... He was lazy getting back. He he was a quarter side, what, three, four times in that second half? Yeah. And all of them were sort of from potentially good chances. If he'd have um, stayed on the shoulder of his man, he could have got through. And I've not seen that from him before. He doesn't, he's not the sort of player who stands in an offside position. I, I, don't, I don't know what it is. I don't know whether it's kind of Ranieri's comments might have got to him because I, I don't necessarily agree with what Ranieri was saying about not a fighter because I think he is certainly with his um with his passion and certainly he's more a fighter than than Schurler is who seems to be you know getting his position in the team but, but I, if I, I may... was definitely concerned about it today yeah I get it but if I may just I mean Ranieri also said you know he wants he wants not more fight he just wants Cess to toughen up a bit and that is something that I've noticed personally for me Cess does something wonderful and then sort of falls at the final hurdle if it's an offside or if it's a wrong move and it's it's incredibly frustrating to watch because we know of how wonderful it was to look at in the championship and he actually would go you know it's just frustrating to watch because in the championship he would reach every single lily pad and actually get the full you know reach the three stages of the pitch if you see what I mean and actually end up scoring John I mean do do you think that Cess is is actually something that is a bit of a problem for us at the moment it's hard to say he's a problem when he's not starting. Um, I agree with you guys. He's, he's, he's never lacked passion before. I think his performance today was a bit lack, lacklustre. And all he really did was give away offsides to them. That, the only involvement yeah. I can say he actually had. And, and in the situations that he did that, there was potential for us and for him to break through on goal and, and do something you know positive, score a goal, set someone up, and then possibly cement his place for the next game. It's hard with a player who's been hyped up so much. I think he was overhyped, massively overhyped in the championship. I mean, he, ha- he has his limitations. He was brilliant for us, and he's a player I'd, I would love watching play for us. But the kind of reports coming out of club, the, the media haven't helped um, in kind of being yeah. up a player to, to be better than he is, in my opinion. But today, he, he, I, I actually agree for the first time I can ever say, I, I thought, it's hard to say whether the manager told him, look, just stay on the top line. I don't want you to drop back. Because we always take what the player does as always being lazy. That might be what he's asked to, to, to being done. But 
we had three or four chances where he could have got on, and every time it was offside. So he he might be. The question I'll ask both of you guys is: um, what Premier League club would pay the money we, we were looking at last season? What 20, 25, 30 mil for Ryan Sessignon after his performances this season? I think I think as a prospect, he's worth that money. But he, for me, he would be firmly on the bench or in the squad of a top eight side. And I don't think he'd be starting for a top 12 side personally with his performances this season. So I don't know, what's what's your guys' opinion? Yeah, it's a good question because it, obviously there was various fees being thrown about last season. I mean, I think what people were saying, we were going to get 30, 40 upwards yeah. for him. And there were talk of even getting cash plus Danny Rose, I think, at the start in, in the summer and all, all these kind of things. But I think I think there are several uh, teams who would still pay good money for him because they've simply got the the finances and the squad that they can buy a player on based only on potential, loan him back out, or you know you look at Spurs when they first got Deli Ali, he went back to MK Dons for the rest of the season, and they can do that and they so they can take a chance. I think we would still get a lot of money for him, perhaps not as much as we would have done. Um, if he'd have come into the Premier League and started performing straight away and perhaps not as much as we would have done based on his, you know, being top scorer last season. Yeah. But I'm not concerned that we would we would lose money on him. But, you know, I think I think the point is that if we go down, I, I think he will be sold. Um yeah. as much as we, we would want him to stand, as much as he would be a, a real um problem for other teams again in the championship. I I I think he now would see his level as the Premier League, and there will certainly be teams taking a chance on him, whether it's Spurs, United now that they're kind of, they don't have Mourinho anymore, or um, someone like Arsenal as well, who maybe they don't spend money, you know, they might not be the best example, but but he, he certainly won't be short of suitors. Yeah. Can I can, can I just jump in and say, I mean, if I'm being brutally honest, and I love Seth, I think being a star in the Championship next season is probably his level. I don't think they'll see that happen. I think he will move on. Yeah. But I don't think we'll see him being a star in the Premier League next season or even a regular starter. So it's unfortunate that we probably will have to have to cash in, which honestly breaks my heart. But for me, I think next season, him playing and starring in the Championship is exactly what he sh- should be doing next season. And he's been a lot m- more mature than many players and jumping at the first good offer. So it yeah. would be understandable to lose him. But that, I think... Honestly, for his career development, would, would quite possibly be with a manager who had faith in him, would, would be the the best. The best for Fulham is probably to sell him, unfortunately, because uh, I think the money we'd recoup would be able to fund another squad redevelopment, which I think is almost inevitable if we get relegated. Yeah, I think that's the point. Clubs like us, we we bring through players, we we buy them young. And then we sell them on and, and create a squad out of that. I think that's the only way that, that teams like us can actually succeed. But, um, you know, in in terms of Sessignon, could it be that we sell him and then keep him next season anyway? Because as John, you said, that, that might be what's best for his career right now is to be continuing to perform in the, in the championship. Um, yeah. Could that be with us if we sell him to another team and get him on loan for the season? Would Would you be against that personally it's not my favorite kind of transfer because then I feel like that the player's already gone but for Cessnion I might make an exception because you know he's he's one of our own and all that um but could that yeah. be an option I think it could be an option for sure and it, it's particular it could be likely I, I the thing I think with Cess is I mean I think Cess should personally st- like I agree with both of you he should stay with us until he's 21 he's only 18 I think he should stay with us in the championship and regain his confidence where he was very good but I can see Spurs or an Arsenal or a Man United buying him and loaning him back to us. But I can't see him ever starting in the Premier League in those teams at the moment. So the other thing I would always imagine for Cesc would be going to a team and doing a doing a Sancho and potentially doing something quite some doing some cool things abroad, you know, potentially at the Bundesliga or La Liga, I'm not too sure. I think something that's worth noting is that Cesc was a Liverpool fan. Um and obviously, you know, players forget who they support when they're during their career, but he was a massive Liverpool fan. He was a, a massive Gerrard fan. And um, signing to Liverpool would probably be his dream move. And then the logical step would be for Liverpool to loan him to Rangers, where Gerrard is manager. 
and Gerard probably is seen as a future manager for Liverpool. So that right. that could almost fulfil some kind of prophecy for um, for Young Sess if, if that's if that's the way he wants to go. Yeah, and that's that's not a bad shout either. Actually, I mean, I could imagine. I could imagine him playing for Liverpool with the style that they play, but at the moment, I, like you said, I couldn't see him starting. So somewhere like Rangers to keep keep the bench warm for not only him but for the manager, the manager position of Stephen Gerrard potentially going there would make sense. Now look, I'm I'm, I'm going to move on to quickly. The, you said John, you know, we had a bench full of attackers, and but yet the substitutions were shit. I mean, like I I, I thought Cabano coming on. I mean, if he can't do well at Oldham against Oldham. I don't know what on earth like is going in his head, like in Ranieri's head, thinking he's going to do well against fucking Spurs right now. Sorry for swearing, but you know, I don't, I don't, I don't get that substitution. Um, I thought Seri, I thought Cisse potentially was a good, a good idea, maybe because it adds a bit of extra defence. But I thought Seri had a blinding game. I mean, what, 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 I also think that potentially Tom Kenny had a chance of making his 150th appearance today for the club, and I just think maybe he would have changed things. Matt, I'll go to you. I mean, out of the th- three things I've mentioned, is there something that you think could have been done a lot better substitutions-wise? Well, I think the bad one was out of Claudio's hands because he hasn't played a lot and, sure. you know, starting for his new team. Um, and bringing on Sessignon, I don't think, can ever be a bad idea. The the CSA one... I mean, I don't know what what was Ranieri thinking was going to happen. Yeah, um, in so, his mind, and I think probably in his mind, he thought we can get a point out of this, and he'd be thinking that was a you know a good morale boosting point. As a fan watching it from my point of view, I'm thinking I really don't think a point does us any good here whatsoever. I know it's Spurs, but as we touched on earlier, it's a, a, a very much weakened Spurs team. I don't think a point does us any good here. I want to see players coming on who might might go on and win this game for us. Yeah. And when Cissé came on, he sort of almost became the sixth defender. And he he was sitting back so deep that um, the difference between him and Seri was, you know, chalk and cheese, really, because we we lost, uh, you know, what possession we had anyway, which was very low. We we, mm. we we sunk even back into our own box. So I don't I think that was a really bad call. Cabano, I mean, he's just he's just no good, is he? It's not his <laughs> fault. But yeah. he's not going to do anything in the Premier League, so it's almost a waste of the squad space, really. Um, yeah, I get we haven't really got anyone better because we haven't really got anyone else. But um, that that could be a place that goes to a, a youth player. Um, I don't mm. know what what Claudio Ranieri's kind of um, vision for the youth players is, but I dare say it's um, not as strong as uh, Jukanovic's was. So that that's yeah, I just don't think his his substitutions were any good whatsoever. Um, yeah. They didn't help us. So bringing Kenyon, I think for Seri would have been the choice because at that point we, we really needed the ball to stick. We were getting pushed so far back. Harry Winks was kind of in control of the game at that point. And if we bring on Tom Kearney, push him behind Mitro and let the two of them kind of keep the ball a bit, we might have been able to get a goal. But um, as it was, I think Ranieri wanted to hold on to the draw and he got it badly wrong. I think that's... I think that's... I think that's harsh. Actually, I think it's a, it's a, it's um, being at the game. I think that's quite a harsh representation of actually what actually happened. I mean, they they Spurs took off Lamella for um, Dyer, which I was like, oh look, Spurs are settling for a draw here, good for us. Um, Barbel, I think, had run his race, which is unfortunate because he was, I thought, very very good and threatening throughout while he was on the pitch. For me, the um, the Seri substitution. He was on a yellow. He had put himself about all game. Him for Kearney, fair enough, but Kearney offers nothing defensively. And although we needed possession and completely surrendered it second half, I think by the stage we were at, I don't think Kearney would have offered us anything, really. I'm afraid to say I love Kearney as a player in, in a three in midfield, but in a two, he, he just is completely ineffective. He, he can't. He doesn't seem to sprint or put pressure on the ball. Surely for Cabano, the strange thing is in the Oldham game, the best out of Aite, Cabano and Vieto was Cabano second half. He he skinned them multiple times and created all of our good chances, really, second half. And then in the uh, the last game we played, um, Ranieri brings on Vieto. And I was like, well, yeah. he, for me, he was completely ineffective. Um, but he actually played really quite well. So Vieto then had a good performance. And then after Cabano having a good performance and not putting him on, and then Vieto having a good performance, he decided not to put him on and go to Cabano, who had had a good performance the game before, and he wasn't any good. I think 
the real problem stems, and this goes to Mitro as well, is that Barber was great, but he, he's a 60-minute player. Scherler, I thought, was actually really good today. There were some lovely one-touch layoffs and passes, and he, he, he looked like he could hurt them at times, 60-minute player. And yeah. Mitro, I'm sorry, but, but Mitro's a 60-minute player. I mean, he was on his arse for the last 20 minutes and, and time-wasting, well, possibly not time-wasting, but it kind of didn't seem eager to get back up and charge at them. So off, mm. let's just stay off our most effective front three are 60-minute players. And that isn't going to cut it. And and that, for me, is incredibly frustrating. But it's kind of where we're, where we're at. Yeah, I mean, Mitro's uh, rivalry with Sanchez was, was something really fun to watch on the TV. I don't know what it looked like when you were on the stands, but it was, it was quite fun. I mean, but yeah, I'll be, I I'll, be honest, I'll, be, I'll be honest. I thought Mitro could easily actually have been sent off. I yeah, think I felt that. He, he's, he signed up to Tony's wrestling firm, and that looked like a move, like a bit of a pole driver. On, BDT, on him, mate. When he got him in a headlock and put his... 18 stone bulk on driving his head into the ground. Um, and we've not seen that from Mitro. He had a rep for it, but we've not seen it. And for me, that was naughty. And if it wasn't yellow carded, I could easily see that being um, retrospectively given something harsher. So, yeah, on another day, hopefully, we've got a few more years before he retires to, um, to wrestling. Without, for me, that looked a bit naughty. Well, I think, you know, Mitro is now going through this. It's like Rico with his form dipping with the lack of... Co- I feel... I, I And Seth's looking unconfident. I think Mitro is now looking like a player that has lo- is losing his confidence and therefore it's it's being channeled into aggression and the uh, Mitro of old who makes rash tackles, rash decisions. And it's, it's you know, it's, it's, it's hard to watch. It does feel like everything is sort of melting around us a little bit on off the pitch and on. And the Harry Winks goal, we could talk about that as... So the cows come home. But at the end of the day, we all know, you know, this is that's Joe Bryan's fault, isn't it, Matt? What, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's. I think more Joe Bryan's fault than anyone's. Yeah. Um, as we we kind of mentioned earlier, I think Rico probably needs to at least try and get on that because at the point it's headed in, I think Harry Winks is about two yards from goal. Yeah. Um, Harry Winks is not very tall as it is, and he was on his knees when he headed that in. So. The amount of kind of defenders that that has to go through, who could head it away <laughs> before it reaches him, is just is unacceptable, really. And annoyingly, that the the, the guy who crossed it was um, he he just come on and it's hardly played, so that's going to give him a nice boost, isn't it? So you can always you can always rely on uh, Fulham to do that. But yeah, I mean, firstly, Joe Bryan is just casually running back, and Harry Winks is kind of shouting for the ball. He he there's only one player there who, who really wants to get on the end of that. But then he has a second chance as well because Winks kind of stops in order to to wait for the cross to come in. But Brian still stands behind him, and you know I'm I'm no football coach and I'm no football player, but certainly I've I've always been told you 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 defend, you get between the man and the ball, don't you? Uh, the man mm. and the goal, you you face the play, and if you're chasing it, all of a sudden that cross comes in a bit closer to goal than you're expecting, and you're out of position, and it's an easy header. Just so avoidable, and how many of our fifty-one goals have been have been avoidable? Most of them, surely. And so, John, the point John was making earlier: the defending at the far post is just terrible. And I think that's one place we we really do miss Matt Target because he just had a bit more height and he was a, a bit smarter actually defensively. Uh, Joe Bryan, by by all accounts, I haven't seen much of it, but it seems fairly decent as an attacking fullback. But certainly in the way we play now, which is you know, get behind the ball, give them the ball, wait for crosses to come in, block it, you know, stay tight and, you know, be the spoilers. We need defensive fullbacks now rather than attacking ones. And we've just got, we've got Joe Bryan who, you know, he he tries and he was, you know, he worked really hard today, but yeah, it's unacceptable to defend like that. And there's no surprise it was punished. Uh, Exactly. And I think, you know, going before we just do the Ranieri rating, I mean, God help us, but, you know, he's he's basically said that we are naive, we are inexperienced with these sort of situations. And Matt alluded to the fact, you know, we should have gone all out for the three points. And I'm with that to a certain extent. All right, guys, we'll do a quick Ranieri rating. And uh, I'll just read his comments uh, after the match. It was a good match. First half, fantastic. Second half, we controlled very well the match in a defensive way. We gave a gift for the first goal. And the second goal was unbelievable to explain. I am positive because... <laughs> 
when you play this type of football and this type of performance, you have to believe, I believe. So he's obviously still very confident with his thumbs up in the air that it's going to be okay, but it's it's like a broken record now. He says the same thing every bloody week. Um, Ranieri rating for you, Matt. How would you? What would you rate him out of 10 for this, this shot? Oh, it was a good match. Really annoyed <laughs> me. And yeah, I know. Obviously, obviously, it's still winding me up because we've just lost in the 93rd minute. The first yeah. thing that comes out of his mouth is, it was a good match. No, no one wants to hear that. I want the manager to be to be furious or telling me how he's going to make it better. And saying things just like, oh, I believe, you know, we played well for 45 minutes and if we can play like that, then I, I believe. But is he still going to say that at the point relegation is confirmed? Because I I, I mean, we, we, we did play better for 45 minutes, but the way we came out in that second half and the way we sat back, we were asking for it. And I think that's that's down to him. Um, so my rating would probably be, I think I've been generous, a five. All right, nice one. And for you, John, what was your, your rating be, sir? Um, I do agree with Matt to an extent. I think first off was actually outstanding, really. I mean, it was exactly what we wanted to see. We got positive result first half-wise. Could have, could have got in with more. I think the substitutions, I think his hands were slightly tied behind his back. So I think it's unfair to judge him massively harshly on that. For me, the thing that really gripes me is that we were doing so successfully first half and without him having words in the players' ears after going 1-0 up for 20, 30 minutes, we carried on doing so. Then after him having a word in their ears, we were very defensive and looked toothless. So that it has to be, a certain portion of that blame has to be put on his on his doorstep. Look, we're playing a third best team in the league, all with a weakened squad. I'm going to give him a six and I do understand his comments. I, you know, I mean, I don't know how much more you'd expect of the team. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it's negative second half. And Matt's right. A point probably wasn't good enough. But momentum-wise, and one thing I just want to jump on again, and I've said this on the last couple of shows, is momentum. Yeah. Okay. You conceded in the, in the last touch of the ball. And a point against Spurs at home would have been a morale boost. And it would have been some sort of positive momentum. And once again... We've given that away. We've given any kind of boost the player's going to have in the dressing room and in the tra- in the training ground for a week. We've given that little little slimmer of hope. We've given it away again. And it's just been the story of our season. The game summed up our season, um, I, yeah. unfortunately. I, I completely agree. And I'm going to jump on that, actually. Uh, for the Ranieri rating, I'm going to give him five. I mean, his face when the goal went in, he looked like he just put down his pet chocolate Labrador called Monty and on a very cloudy day. It was look, he looked really, really sad. Uh, but look, going to what you say with momentum and unlucky and summing up our season, uh, it's I honestly see a team that's it's like have it's like a disease. It's like a cancer. A relegation team has a cancer in them, and I see it. I've seen it for weeks now, and you can see we have it. I mean, with deflections, own goals, offsides overruled, offsides wrongly given, silly handballs, hitting the woodwork constantly, our owner, our owner telling fans to go to hell, countless individual defensive errors, and you know our best centre-back, who was, wasn't being used for almost half a season, and when he starts to come good, he injures himself putting his fucking boots on. So, I mean, I don't know, you know, th- this is completely a disease we have, and it's starting to look more and more incurable, and we have to seriously think about what we're going to do with Ranieri uh, before it's... I mean, uh, if, if Morton had put his boots on more often, he probably wouldn't have done that injury. You know? that's, that's, <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's been it. well-trained in boot putting on. Oh, never mind. All right. <laughs> cool. All yeah. right, guys. Excellent stuff. Um, we will now have a little bit of music and then on the other side of it, we'll have the quiz. Fulham. And welcome back. Now it's time for the quiz. Now, round one, the January window. All right, I ask the question, I give you options, and you tell me which one you think it is. Question one, which Fulham manager signed the most players on loan during the January window? That's which Fulham manager signed the most players on loan during the January window? All right. Roy Hodgson, Slavisa Jokanovic, Chris Coleman, or Martin Yoll? And I will go to you first, Mr. Dom. Uh, Roy Hodgson was my first thought before the options came up, so I'm going to go with him. All right, you're going for the answer. And for you, Mr. John? I think it's Jokanovic. Okay, we're going for Jokanovic. 
You're absolutely right. Slavisa Kanovic is the correct answer. He made seven loans uh, in January once, and he signed Madel, Ince, Labiad, Petsos, Syriac, Piazon, and Christie. And the Piazon loan was an extended one. And for the Roy Hodgson answer, he only made five loans. Five loans in January. Uh, Chris Coleman had made three loans, and Martignol made five loans. So that is 1-0 to the John. All right, here we go. So question two. Which January... Fulham signing took the most days to make their debut. So which January Fulham signing took the most days to make their debut? A. Kostas Mitroglou or Mitroglou B. Lionel Cole C. Cyrus Christie or D. Thanos Petsos And I'll go to you, John. Which one? Oh, that's so tough. I was literally going to jump straight in before the options and say Mitroglou, but then when you give me all the other shit options, um, <laughs> it makes it even harder. Yeah. Um, Oh, I've got an inkling it's been talking, but I might go for Pestos because it was. Oh, no, hang on. Uh, 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 Pestos? I think it's, yeah, I'm going Pestos. You're going Pestos? Okay, and for you, Matt? Um, <laughs> can you read them again? I've forgotten. Yeah, of course. Mitriglou, Lionel yeah. Cole, Cyrus Christie, uh, Thanos Pestos, and that's it. Uh, I was going to say. Um... Littman in because I think he's still waiting, isn't he? But um, <laughs> Mitroglou, I'll go with. All right, you're going with Mitroglou. John, I'm really sorry you should have gone for Mitroglou. Matt, that is a correct answer entirely. Mitroglou took 22 days to make his debut against West Bromwich Albion away. Such, um, such an idiot. He played in the cup, and the cup isn't that late in the season, is it? So, um, yeah, schoolgirl yeah. school error there. Yeah, Cyrus Christie took 21 days against his debut versus Bristol City away. Lionel Cole took nine days versus Man United away. And Thanos Petsos took three days versus Hull City at home. All right, cool. Um, All right, question three. Which January signing went on to make the most appearances for Fulham? Which January signing went on to make the most appearances for Fulham? Was it Leon Andreasen, Lewis Holtby, Alexi Smerton, or Wayne Bridge? And I'll go to you for this one, Matt. Oh, that's tricky. Hmm. Um, I, think it, I think it might be Wayne Bridge. I think he played quite a lot in the second half of that season. Okay. Going for Wayne Bridge. And for you, John? Yeah, I think he started almost every game um, from, from being signed. So I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to lump him with Matt. Okay, you are both incorrect, I'm afraid. Wayne Bridge made 12 appearances. Lewis Holtby made 13 appearances. Leon, uh, Leon Andreasen made 21 appearances. And the winner was Alexi Smertin with 25 appearances. He had the most appearances uh, for Fulham from a January signing. All right. All right, guys. So it is currently one or so. We did, we, did, we did well there, didn't we? Yeah, well done, mate. All right, question <laughs> four. Least appearances, wasn't it? It was the most appearances. Did I say my, what? What? No, we, we, I think I think no, I'm just taking the fist, mate. Okay, good, good. Sorry, I just um, banter, missed it. All right, cool. Question <laughs> four. <laughs> question, question four. Which of these, <clears throat> which of these former players was not a January signing? Which of these former players was not a January signing? Nicholas Jensen, Simon Elliott, Eddie Johnson, or Steve Sidwell? And I'll go to you this one, John. One more time. Nicholas Jensen, Simon Elliott, Eddie Johnson, or Steve Sidwell? I think uh, Jensen. All right, Jensen. And for you, Matt? Yeah, I was going to go with Jensen, but I might change my mind just to make it to make it interesting. Um, who was the second one? <laughs> Simon Elliott. Uh, yeah, let's go with him. I think he might have been Summer. You've got to stop making it interesting. It was definitely I Nicholas think it's Jensen. <laughs> <laughs> it was Nicholas Jensen's. Uh, all right, guys, it's 2-1. So question five, 2-1 to John, by the way. All right, question five. Which January signing took the most games to score their first goal? Was it Montella, Mitrovic, Clint Dempsey, or Syriac? And I will go to this with you first, Mr. Matt, seeing as you're trailing. Oh, that's quite tough. Um, I think Clint Dempsey might have taken a while to get going, so I'm going to go with him. All right, Clint Dempsey. And for you, John? I'm going to go for Syriac. Syriac, okay. Oh, John, you were close. The answer is Clint Dempsey. He scored his first goal in his 11th game for Liverpool at home, and Syriac scored in his eighth game for Blackburn at home. And Mitrovic scored his fourth 
uh, scored in his fourth game for Bristol City away, and Montella scored in his third game for Leicester at home in the FA Cup. All right, so that's two all. That's made it a bit spicy again. All right, round two, back and forth. Here we go. Fulham might not be playing this weekend in the fourth round of the FA Cup, but in 2011, Captain Danny Murphy scored two penalties in five minutes when we battered Spurs 4-0 at the same stage of the competition. Now, name the ten other players who started that day for Fulham, and there's potential for five points each here. So name the ten other players other than Danny Murphy who started that day for Fulham. Back and forth, let's start with you, John. Name a player. Ten other than Danny Murphy, because I was going to pick him first. Um, you can't do that. No, you can't do that. Uh, we'll go for Schwarzer. Mark Schwarzer. Mark Schwarzer is not on the list, I'm afraid, mate. I'm sorry. sorry. All right, and for you, Matt? Uh, I'm going with Clint. Let's use him two, two questions in a row. Yep, Clint Dempsey, that is correct. And back to you, John. Hangland. Hangland, that is correct. And you, Matt? Well, if Hangland plays, it's got to be Hughes. Hughes is there, exactly. And for you, John? Etuhu. Etuhu is not on the list, I'm afraid. And Matt, to you. Wait, so was Schwarzer wrong? Uh, yes. Okay. Um, let's go to Stockers. Stockdale is correct. Well done, mate. David Stockdale was on the list. And for you, John? This is not going well. Um, no, I agree. Um, Andy Johnson. Andy Johnson is on the list. Well done, mate. You're sneaking back up. And for you, Matt. Okay. Um, si- Simon Davis. Simon Davis. Simon Davis is not on the list. Oh. All right. And that was your... Yeah. Okay. So, um, and John, next one for you, sir. Oh, I'm struggling to think of many of these bloody players. Um, oh, Koncheski. Koncheski is not on the list. Okay, right. And last guess for you, Matt. Oh, man. Um, Gira. Gira is not on the list, Matt, oh, I'm afraid. Man. So that is your final guess. All right, so Matt won that round. He got three and John got two. So that makes Matt having five and John is on four. 5-4. All right. And now we're in the final round. Guess the player. Round three, guess the player. All right. You know the rules to this. I'm going to go out with the facts. So if you get fact one to three, you get four points. Four to six, you get three points. Seven to eight, you get two points. Nine to ten, you get one point. All right. And I will name them out very slowly and I will freeze you if you call out and we'll see who wins. All right. Round three, guess the player. Fact number one. This player is five foot seven tall. He was born in Hartlepool. He made 44 appearances for Fulham. Peter Beardsley. All right, I'm going to freeze you there for Peter Beardsley. Very good. That's fact number three. So you could potentially get four points there. That is a proper punt, but I've always... That's a hell of a punt. So I'm just going in for it. I mean, it's bold. There's no denying it. Um, Number four. (laughs) (laughs) Number four, he never scored any goals. Oh, Number five. Okay, uh, oh, no. Okay, well, no, no. Number five. No, carry on. He was the club captain for one season. Number six. Okay. Oh, go on. Uh, yeah, well, I don't think it's busy, so I'm going to take a punt. Is it, is it Lee Clark? I'm going to free... Get... You said 44, didn't you? That's not, it's not going to be him. Yeah, I'm going to freeze you there then for Lee Clark and number four. All right, number five. He was the oh, club no, captain for one season. Number six, he has played for Fulham under Chris Coleman and he then briefly for Laurie Sanchez. Fact number seven, he was signed from Tottenham Hotspur on deadline date of the January transfer window. Matt Brown. Yeah, yeah you Michael see it coming Brown, now. Yeah. yeah, fact number eight, he was only with Fulham for 18 months, leaving to join Wigan in July 2007. Fact number nine, despite his reputation for being a dirty player, his disciplinary record for Fulham reads 12 bookings and one red card in 44 games. Fact number 10, his surname... The elbowed, the elbowed Van Persie in the head. Uh-huh, and his, the fact number 10 is his surname is also a type of sauce. So there you go. It was Michael Brown, and unfortunately, none of you guys got that. Hey, <laughs> uh, Unfortunately, none of you got that. So, Matt, you are today's winner with a total score of five and John on four. So it was nice and tight. And, Matt, as a present for you, we are sending you a lovely Chris Jericho T-shirt as our newest member of Fulham FC family. 
of the beautiful AEW wrestling franchise that is about to bestow upon Craven Cottage next season. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Break the walls down. Very good. All right. All right. Exactly what I wanted. (laughs) (laughs) All right. After this, we will just have a little chat about transfers and just generally what the hell we do from here. Fulham. All right, guys, welcome back. And we're just going to have a quick bit of transfer news now. So AK apparently is heading off. We saw his Instagram with like a phoenix rising. He's off after downward Groundhog Day during yoga with Mitrovic, apparently. And we've now just had a bit of report that Cahill is on his way to Monaco, which makes a lot more sense to do with his 120k a week. I'm sure he'll be happily reimbursed there. Um, I mean, what, what are your thoughts on this, Matt? I mean, I mean, Cahill's just too little too late, a bit like Ryan Babble, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I'd have been delighted if we'd got Cahill before Burnley. We needed him in the 1st of January, really. Mm. Bringing him now, I mean, the, the Burnley game for me, uh, even though we showed fight today, I think the Burnley game was has put the nail in our coffin. I can't see a way back from it. And I don't think we should spend £110,000 a week on a centre-back for six months. Uh, mm. I just don't think there's any logic in that whatsoever anymore. I don't know what the answer is, but I think we need to be need to have an eye on the championship for next season we need to bring in players um on permanent deals who won't who won't be leaving at the end of the season uh, if we bring in too many six-month deals like ryan babble uh, and what Cahill was uh, supposedly going to be we'd end up with in the championship with um with no players again so we need to start bringing championship players in now bed them in and uh, get them ready for a promotion push and that goes, I mean, it goes for the manager as well. I don't think Ranieri stays with us if we go down. So it, it might seem like a drastic option, but I think we should um, roll the dice again, get someone in, um, ask them to, you know, do what you can to, if you can keep us up, then great. Otherwise, give them the the, um, the tools to uh, bring us straight back up next season. Um, so yeah, the transfers, we need to have an eye on, on next season now. Yeah, I, th- I think I agree with Matt, and he touches on some good points there. Where basically the, the two options we've got are kind of boom and bust in the Premier League, yeah. or 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 start looking longer term ahead and uh, look look for continuity for next season. I mean, realistically, it's been about three or four seasons now where we've started the season with threadbare squads, and we've had to kind of adapt and build something throughout the season. I think Cahill would have been. I mean, he was he was guaranteed to come to us a week ago. He's now guaranteed to go to Monaco. I would have liked him to sign. I think, unfortunately, with the Morton injury, I think Cahill and Morton at the back would have allowed us to play a four at the back. Um, and then we have, so I, I believe we have strength in midfield um, with some creativity. It would, have, it, would, it would have allowed our midfield players to actually play creatively with a, with a three in the middle. But it seems like that's not going to happen. In today's performance, the wing-backs look, look weak. Are they even championship level? I suppose Brian proved it, but I'm not seeing much, much there. I, I think the um, I think Tony deserves regret. I think Barbell is a really, really good signing. Actually, I think um, just from just from sixty minutes today, I think that's that's really good. If we can get a few kind of not boom or bust signings, I suppose, just you know, possible possible saviors, and if not, no no strings attached. But we cannot start with twelve players again next season, and we we we've, we've made the mistake of completely alienating all of the team. I say team; they were a team. They were to get a tight-knit group that got us here. And we've yeah. pissed them all off, basically. So I don't know if any of them want to stay. And if after a year of sitting on the bench, they're even up to it again. But we can, I'm completely torn between the two. And I, I think probably long-term planning is is the better way to go. Not so, right. sure about, not so sure about the manager immediately. I think change the manager now. would we'll just make us look like a shambles. We are a shambles. But um, I think getting a, a manager lined up to uh, to kind of come in and probably ask him what he wants for next season. Um, and Tony can claim he was being a brilliant director of football and not just signing who Ranieri wanted, slightly with a finger in two pies, to be honest. Yeah, you make a good point there about um, the, the players who've been alienated. How, how would you feel if you know, you've know you've put your heart and soul into getting this club promoted and then um, you... Fair enough. The team makes um, some additions and brings in, uh, you know, new players in. But the likes of Kevin McDonald, uh, Bettinelli, um, you know, they've they've really been alienated. Your Hansen as well, to um, you know, a great extent. And and then all of a sudden, you're being asked to help get the team promoted again if they go down because all the uh, bigger paid players are getting 
you know, are, are fucking off to other teams. Um, I wouldn't particularly want to go through all that again. I, I don't know about you. <laughs> I don't know what you think about that, Jay, Matt. Oh, no, I'd feel completely just, you know, piss off, to be honest. I mean, like, you know, I just think it's it's going to be tricky. We're going to look a bit stupid when we go back because, I mean, I'm starting to feel like it's not a case of if, it's it's when. And, you know, looking at players like Thomas Callas, who I was always actually a big fan of until he had that bad spell and, like, you know, we got Odoi in and it was all, you know, we couldn't really drop uh, bring Callas back because of Odoi's form. But, uh, you know, Callas, you know, made it very public of how upset he was of how we treated the situation. He's now doing quite well for Bristol City and Lucas Piazon was pretty much begging for us to grab him and you know he would have probably been good in the championship for next season but I don't think he'll want anything to do with us either yeah I'm I I think it's going to be really tricky and we're going to look quite quite silly uh next season but I I hope I do hope that we can get some long-term people for a, a good squad like we had last season and actually have a chance of coming up again as quickly as possible um what I was going to say was actually is that I'd be interested to know your thoughts of where the club is now and what you believe, how you see. Because you know, John, you were saying when at the, the 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 atmosphere today at the ground, everyone was just like in it for the ride, and it was actually quite jovial as opposed to. Because at the moment, there seems to be a very big sort of feeling of there's optimism slash illusion versus negativity and realism amongst fans, and I, and I just don't know if we can ever find a middle ground because we we look like we're going straight into the the burning pit at the moment and I just don't really know what it says to us as how we feel about Fulham as a club now I mean there are lots of I think there are lots of clubs wishing they had owners and infrastructures and youth academies and future stadium stands Riverside stands like ours but at the same time we've got ticket prices going up and the recruitment director of football situation has been pretty much embarrassing I just I'd be interested to know your thoughts on it basically um, to be honest, I've been harsh on the last couple of pods about the, um, the ownership and management. And one thing I'd like to say is, um, going back to your point a second ago, um, yeah. play, why would players want to play for us? I mean, you've got to look at K-Mac and Johansson. K-Mac was our second, voted second best player of the season last season by the fans. Johansson was in it, almost an ever-present. And they'd been dropped for Cissé. Um, oh, yeah. Who, didn't get a look in throughout the the whole of the season and and maybe unfairly, but that's got to be a real bitter pill to swallow for them, surely. So whether they're into it, and you mentioned Callas and um, Piazon, but you got to look at Norwood. Norwood's now, of course, yeah, right yeah. up there with um with with Sheffield United, I believe, and and doing really well. And actually, I wonder if that kind of deep lying but good at passing player is exactly what we're missing now. So it, you know. And I wouldn't probably have signed him as anything but a squad player, but hindsight is a beautiful thing. When it comes to the owners, I am under no doubt whatsoever that the the chairman and his son only wish the best for us. I really don't have any... I don't think, you know, we're not not looking at owners stripping assets and, you know, loaning us things that will eventually end up lining their pockets and making us bust. I think they've been unlucky. I think they've been really unlucky, to be honest. Um, They sell... Humphreys, not that he was going to be our season saviour, although J-Mac, I believe you think otherwise. But um, And then he scores two goals in his debut. He's got sent back from a League One side because he wasn't good enough. And instantly we sell him and he, he turns on to form. So I think they have been unlucky. Hopefully Barbel is a, um, a turning. But we have to be a bit pragmatic and we, we can't start with a threadbare squad. And we, we basically need to have a little whip round, a bit like the bloody government at the moment, and just see who in the changing room is, is with us and who's going to stay with us through thick and thin and who isn't. And we need to maximise that and work out what positions we're strong in with, with the kind of um, dedicated few and what positions we're not strong in. And we need to start looking at that. If we can get some emergency loans or short-term signings in, let's do it, do it. But realistically, we, we have to be thinking long-term. And the thing that really bites me is, I was very arrogant over Cardiff's summer dealings and I now feel a fool because what they've done was actually really astute. And what we're now laughing, what we laughed at them for, we're now saying we should do. And, yeah. um, you know, we, we should all feel, me especially, feel a little bit ashamed of, of our derogatory um, comments to Cardiff when actually it looks like they've played a bit of a blinder and they would be strong next season, whereas we look kind of adrift, basically. So, um after today's performance, I see hope. If we play like that for every game of the season, we can stay up. I do believe that. So I'm slightly happier than last season, but we just need to take this transfer window really, really carefully because it it could really affect not only this season, which is already slightly 
tainted, but could really affect the next few. Sorry, I've gone on for ages there. No, no, it's great. And actually, it's quite nice for someone, you know, we haven't actually said that there is an argument for, you know, if we play like we did in the first half, you know, we'll be fine. But we've been saying this for so long. We've been saying this when we first played Spurs at Wembley in the first half of the season, you know, oh, we'll be fine if we keep playing like the way we're playing. And it just, it just hasn't stuck at all. And I, but I do, I do, I'm always the optimist and I do hope that actually we will, we will stay up and, you know, some people believe it, but I'm, I'm, my, yeah, my my hope is slipping. Uh, Matt, any final thoughts from you about you know our club and what you see for us future wise? Well, yeah, no, only that. Um, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I think everyone outside of the club can can see we're we're not cut out for this league this year. Um, so I, I think we will go down, but it doesn't it doesn't have to be the end of the world. Uh, like we said earlier, if we, if we make the wrong signings and we end up with a load of old players on big money, like last time we went down, actually. Then it could be, you know, a, a bunch of years before we even get back. But, you know, we've got some saleable assets. We've got some some young players who um, potentially could do a job in that league. Um, and we will have parachute payments that are higher than last time. Another four years of those. If we play it right, we could potentially come back up. The you know, we could come straight back up and be a force again and do it right this time. But it's just there's not enough football team football men at the team i don't think at, at the club um tony khan is making too many footballing decisions and i just i just don't think he knows enough about the game um so that's that's a problem for me and i'm, I'm not 100 confident they'll get it right and i because I, I think ranieri was a bit of a panic um appointment like uh, mcgath was last time but you know it doesn't have to be the end of the world because we we've got a chance to to bounce back up and i think the Khans will be committed to that I think while it's worth realising that we are not in a great situation, um, that doesn't mean we can't fight for every point, fight in every minute of, of every game and still have hope and still take pride in our team's performances. Um, I think we've got, to, we've got to go out swinging, go out fighting, and we can still enjoy the rest of the season if we do that. And we can still stay up. We can still stay up. It, it's, you know, mathematically we can, and we, we definitely can. Let's, let's enjoy the Premier League. It's so hard to get here. Let's bloody milk it for what it's worth. Yeah, here, here, mate. All right, that's awesome, guys. Thank you for joining me. It's been, you know, it's it's nice to talk so quickly after the game and actually feel so. I don't know, just a bit more. Uh, I don't know, not relieved, but uh, it, it's it's certainly nice to talk to you know good old Fulham fans after a game like that and actually realise it's it's not the end of the world. Um, all right, guys, thank you very much. Everyone at home listening, thank you very much for your time. If you please subscribe to us and rate us on iTunes, but also remember we are on Spotify. Uh, so if that is your outlet, please use that to listen to us. And we will be back next week. All right, so that is goodbye from me. That is goodbye from John. See you, lads. And that is goodbye from Matt. Been a pleasure, mate. Yeah, you too, man. All right. See you soon, guys. Thank you.